We come this morning, we're in a series we're calling Christmas Lessons, and we're looking at sort of the cast, the characters involved in the Christmas story and drawing out lessons that we can learn from them. And it's difficult to come to a, a, a story such as this, a passage such as this, because it's familiar. And when you come to the familiar, you, you assume that you already know everything there is. You've heard the story time and time and time again. I know that. I know the story. And so it can be especially difficult to, to preach through a, a passage such as this. I, 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 all week I, I worked on a, on a, a message and uh, struggled through it. And I just didn't feel right about it. I felt like it was... I just, it didn't click, and, and, and you know, this is one of the, I feel like there's a point when I'm preparing that, that it just clicks, and it makes sense, at least to me. I don't know if it makes sense to y'all, but it makes sense to me when I, when I, when I preach, and so I, I uh, unfortunately, there are deadlines, and so uh, I, got, I got it done, and, and I was struggling. I didn't sleep good Thursday night, had a headache all day Friday, just struggling with how to prepare this, how to preach this. And I, as I left here Friday night, I dropped Bradley off for practice and had to run to a, a, another something else that was going on, and it clicked. And so I, I, I ate and ran, went to Sam's, and then I got home, and Karen said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm starting over. So what do you mean starting over? It's Friday night. I said, I, I got to start over. I got to scrap what I had. And, and so I started over. Because I, I really believe that this is uh, what God wants us to hear today. I believe with all my heart that this is uh, the lesson that God wants us to learn from Joseph because the same thing that Joseph was, 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 being, was going through, I think we're going through that today, and I, and I think it's applicable. So I want to challenge us with that today. Today is going to be a, 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 a strong challenge, I believe. You, you see on your handout, there's, there's, not a lot of, there's no fill-ins. Hopefully we'll have time at the end of today to just, I'm trying to, to teach in a way that we have time to think. And I, I want you to evaluate yourself with just a couple questions, and you see them on your handout. I, I want you to not worry about what the fill-ins are. I don't want you missing what I have to say to try to guess what the next handout is. I, I want you to just evaluate yourself based on what we see today in Scripture, what we hear today in Scripture, and, and lay your life under Scripture and, and see if maybe we're guilty of some of the things that we see today. So, so just set the handout aside and listen. I want to give you a context for, for this story. Every, every story has a context. This narr narrative has a context. Joseph lived in a day where external righteousness reigned supreme. Everything was about looks. Everything was about appearances. Everything was about playing the part, doing the right things. Let me read a passage in, in Romans 10 to explain that. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. So th this passage is dealing with salvation. Paul is dealing with salvation. He says, for I testify about them. He's talking about Israel, the Jewish nation, that they have a zeal for God. They had, they had hearts for God. They had zeal for God. They, they were passionate. But listen, but it wasn't in accordance to knowledge. It wasn't in accordance to knowledge. Listen, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You see what that... In, in, in the culture in which Joseph lived, in the culture in which Jesus was born, 
It was a culture that prided itself on external righteousness, on doing the right things, on going through the motions, on, on how you looked externally. Okay? You, you understand that it was all about externals. And in that culture, Joseph is betrothed to Mary and his, his bride-to-be is pregnant. Can, can you imagine how that would look in a world that was built on externals? On a world that was built on external righteousness, on doing the right thing, on looking the right way. Going through the motions externally. Even trying to earn your relationship with God through externals. Hey, they had a zeal. But they were going through it the wrong way. See, God had offered righteousness through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And here is a culture trying to pursue their own righteousness through keeping the law, through externals. And we'll see that in a minute. The, the betrothal, just to give you a little idea, betrothal was a binding agreement. It was much stronger than our engagement. You could compare it to our engagement, but it was so much stronger. In order to end the betrothal, they had to get a divorce. And you see that. Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, decided to send her away secretly or quietly. That, word, that send her away literally means divorce her quietly. It was, the, the betrothal was that binding. It, it, was a, it was usually for six months to a year. The purpose was to prove the purity of the bride. It was to prove exactly what we have here. If the bride showed up pregnant... During that betrothal, the bride's job was to prove herself pure. The husband would go back to be, would go back to his father's house. He would start constructing a place for them to live. When the time was right, he would make a procession with all his boys, all his groomsmen. They'd go get his bride. They'd go back to the father's house. They'd do the, what the husband had been waiting to do all year while he built the house. They were married. The thing's consummated. Hey, it was binding, but, 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 but if she turned up pregnant, that was humiliating. Imagine in a culture not, not I mean, that, that's built on externals, that's built on looking the part, that's built on doing righteous acts instead of being righteous through the blood of Christ. Your fiancé, if you will, your betrothed bride turns up pregnant. Can, can you imagine... Try to put yourselves in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. How, how, how do you respond to that? Uh, moving forward, Joseph being a righteous man, knowing the law, he had a couple of options. Number one, if, if he wanted to, according to Deuteronomy 22, he could have had her stoned. Now, commentators disagree on the, the prevalence or the, the how often that occurred in Joseph's day. We do know in John 8 that the Pharisees were seeking to stone the woman called in adultery. So we do know it happened. It was an option. According to Deuteronomy 22, that an adulterer caught in the act like that, an adulterer who showed a, 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 a bride-to-be that showed up pregnant, he could stone her. Joseph could uh, given her a private divorce. You can go back to Numbers and, and you can see scriptures uh, uh, that would say that he could divorce her quietly. In Deuteronomy 24, we know that their culture, divorce had become rampant and Moses is trying to reel in their, their, the externals and the, the, the actions that were going on. But thirdly, Joseph could remain her husband. 
But I'm sure in Joseph's eyes, being a, a good God-fearing Jew, being a, a righteous man, if you will, in his, in his law-keeping, I'm sure he would have struggled. Does that make me violate the law? Do I, do I violate Leviticus 20.10 if I do that? If I keep an unclean woman as my bride? And you can see here, Joe, it says, but when he had considered this, verse 20, you can see these options rolling around in Joseph's mind. How do I respond? How do I, isn't that like life a lot of times? A lot of the decisions, we want just these clean, crisp, easy decisions. Most of life is not clean, crisp, easy. Look, I just go to the Bible. It says it right there in one verse and I move on. No, most of it is, okay, what do I do? I've got a lot of things coming, into, coming involved here, a lot of things to include a lot of variables to consider here. And Joseph is considering, what do I do? And he falls asleep and an angel comes to him in a dream. Confirms Mary's story. But, but listen, Joseph being a righteous man, through, through the law, through, through being a good God-fearing Jew, he, he's got to act. He didn't want to disgrace her. Clearly, Joseph loves her. Clearly, he cares about her. But, but he couldn't allow it to pass. If, if, if he lets it pass without, without action, it would imply that she had been unfaithful, that she had violated the Mosaic law. She's unclean. How, how do I do this? How would he react? But, but before we go any further, let me ask you a question, and, and, and it's, it's the basis for those questions on your, on your handout. Let me ask you this. How would you react? Think about it, real honest. Not, not giving the Sunday school answer, but, but not giving the answer that I want to look good in front of my friends. No, how would you react? If you're Joseph, how would you react? Beyond that, here's the second question. Why would you react the way that you would react? Who, whose glory would you be looking out for and how you would react? Who would be at the forefront of your mind as, as who you've got to protect in, in how you would respond? Why would you do what you would do? Would your reaction be about you? Would your reaction be about Mary? Would your reaction be about God? Who, who would your reaction center on? And we see how Joseph responded. He, he battled through the choices. He did not want to disgrace her, but he knew he had to do something. And, and, and it means that it says he, 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 he considered it. It means that Joseph, Joseph did not react with himself in mind. Even when he considered to divorce her quietly, you know, Joseph was not wholly thinking of himself. He was thinking of Mary. Jo Joseph's love for God, his righteousness, if you will, caused him to think of others. He, he didn't simply do what was best for him. He considered everything and everyone involved, and he responded with grace, and he responded with as much mercy as he could. Joseph responded with a heart of the Lord and the law in mind, but he had others in mind as well. How does this play out? It wasn't clean. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't simple. 
But jo- Joseph was finding a way that would honor the Lord, but yet would love Mary at the same time. And it's interesting because oftentimes throughout Scripture, when, when you look at righteousness, when you, when you look at, at, at you, that word, you see a couple of other characteristics tied in closely to it. Righteousness has its outworking. That's what I'm saying. Joseph's righteousness worked its way out in his decisions. In, in, in Proverbs 17, verse 9, he wasn't earning his salvation. Again, his love for God, it played out. Listen to this. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. He was going to divorce her quietly. Joseph knew this. Look at, look at think about uh, Proverbs 10, 12. These are all things that Joseph has going through his mind. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. You look at 1 Peter 4, 8. Again, things that we would think about today. I've, he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Let me ask you, how, how, how did you say you would respond? Did it have those scriptures in mind? Would your response have been motivated for covering the transgression rather than exposing the transgression? Would your reaction have been, hey, how do I, how do I love Mary in the midst of this? Or would it have been about you and your self-righteousness? Would it have been about, about your public persona? Would it totally have been, hey, let me protect myself here. Forget Mary, she messed up, I'm out. My point is this, Joseph's character flowed into his actions. His love for God, his love for others, impacted how he responded to the sin of others. He balanced the two. That's righteousness in action. It's giving what we have received. He reacted as his son would one day react to sinners with grace and with mercy. You get that? Joseph reacted his, 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 as his son would one day, the son that Mary would bear would one day react to sinners with grace and with mercy. I, I'm going to assume just for a moment that none of us have been in this exact situation. I, I can only imagine as a father if Sarah Grace came home and said, I'm, I'm pregnant and God did it. Okay, well, let, let, let's, let's come up. No, that's not going to fly. I... I some of us in here may have had a, a, a fiancé turn up pregnant. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that we haven't been in this exact situation. But I believe that all of us have been in situations that are similar. Maybe involve similar elements. Maybe not a fiancé who is pregnant. But what about your, when you're asked in another situation to respond in such a way that's going to cost you? How do you respond? A situation where, where you, maybe it's a situation where you feel like God is leading you to do something that you know your friends and your family and your loved ones and those around you are going to think is dumb. It's going to think is foolish. It's going to think of what are you thinking. Maybe it's a decision that you know God is leading you to do that you know others are going to ridicule you for. How do you respond? Why do you respond the way that you respond? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiving somebody that utterly doesn't deserve forgiveness. How do you respond? Why do you respond? 
Maybe it's taking a, a, a step of faith and pursuing another career. How, how do you respond? Why? Maybe students, maybe it's speaking up against sin on your campus. Maybe a friend of yours is, is in sin and you know God is telling you, hey, you need to speak up. Do you? Why do you? Why don't you? Maybe it's, maybe it's doing something you know, again, that will result in ridicule. Maybe it's something that you know is going to result that you're not going to be able to travel in the social circles that you travel in any longer if you do this. Maybe it's doing something at work that God that is obedient to God, but you know at the end of the day may cost you your job. We live in that culture. Why do you do what you do and what would you do? What's the motivation behind your actions? Th these are essentially modern-day Joseph situations. The, the, the situation varies greatly. The particulars may vary greatly, but the bottom line is this. And here's the question I think God wants us to ask ourselves learning from Joseph is this. Will we risk being shamed by the gospel? Will we risk shame because of our love for Jesus? Will we risk being shamed on an earthly level because of our allegiance to Christ? Or will we live our lives seeking the approval of man? If, if Joseph was looking out for the approval of man, which is the culture that he lived in, there ain't no way he obeys. The bottom line truth that I want us to ponder today is this. Are we willing to react, to behave, to choose, to respond to life and trials in such a way that it may, it may cause us to be shamed by the gospel because of our love and allegiance for the gospel will we allow ourselves to suffer shame because we choose jesus over everything else whose approval ultimately are we going to live for and, and as i thought about this the lord reminded me we've been given a real life example of this just recently i i I, I, there's some Gator fans in here, and, and we can agree to disagree. I mean, we just sang FSU's fight song, The First Knoll. I mean, it's biblical. I'm just telling you, you Gator fans are out of the will of God. But, no, Tim Tebow, I love Tim Tebow. He made a bad choice for his college, but I love the other choices that he makes. He's been in the news recently. You know why Tim Tebow made the news? Because his, he refused to have sex with his girlfriend. That's newsworthy. Apparently, that's newsworthy. And, and here's what the world's in awe of. You know who his girlfriend was? She's Miss Universe. Miss Universe. She's, she's pushing him, pursuing him, and he refused to have sex with her prior to marriage. And she breaks up with him. And then she thinks, well, I'm going to, you know, the news gets a hold of this, and all of a sudden it's newsworthy that Tim Tebow won't break down and won't forfeit his love for God and his obedience to God to sleep even with Miss Universe. See, if Tim Tebow wanted the approval of man over the approval of God, he would have not done what he did. He doesn't live for the approval of man. Here's the irony of the approval of man. What do you think would have happened if they would have found out that Tim Tebow slept with that girl? He'd have been in the news there too. 
they would have crushed him. They're crushing him for not doing it, and they would have crushed him for doing it. That's the approval of man. It's fickle. It's temporary. It's, it's all to their gain. As long as I do what the world wants, the world will love me. The moment I do what God wants and they got no good for me, they are done with Chris. And the fallacy behind the world's approval is, again, it's vague, it's fickle, it comes and goes. Listen to me, living for, the, living for the approval of others, making decisions based on how others will view you, making decisions for external reasons that, that please man more than they please God is foolish. It's foolish. Why? Because man's approval doesn't last. Man's approval is only as good until the next situation you face and if you balk there, they're done. As long as, as, long as they approve of your decisions, if, you, if we want to bow down to culture, if we want to bow down to man, we better plan on continually bowing down to man because that's as long as they'll love us, as long as we bow down. Listen to me, students, it's that way on your campus. If you want to be the coolest person on campus, you better be prepared to spend the rest of your days on that campus doing what they want you to do. You will become a slave to the person in which you're trying to be approved. That's the bottom line. Romans 6, he says that you're a slave to whatever you want to obey. You want, you want to fulfill sin, you're a slave to sin. You want to, you want to obey God, you become a slave to God. If man's approval is what we want, then we are, we, we, you better be ready to be called a slave to man's approval. You're going to be their puppet. Whatever they say is what you're going to do. And God will not be honored in that. Why did Joseph react the way he reacted? It's because of righteousness. The question becomes then, where do we find our righteousness? Is it in God or is it in ourselves? Is it in God or do we earn it ourselves? Is it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and our faith there? Or do we, by works, earn our own righteousness? If righteousness is where it's at, we better figure out real quick. We better be sure of where that righteousness is found. Where do we find our sense of adequacy? Is it in Christ or is it in my, my own effort? Is it in works? Is it in who God says I am or is it in who everybody thinks that I am? What is it? Is it in Christ or is it in what I do? Is it in being adopted by Christ through belief in His death, burial, and resurrection? Or is it in obedience? This Bible tells us right here it's totally in Christ. We've said it time and time again, and I don't mean to beat it, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, He became sin, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Only righteous people, we saw it a few weeks ago, only righteous people get into heaven. The problem is, you and I on our own aren't righteous. The word righteous, think of perfect. We've all sinned. Guess what? We are no longer perfect. No matter, if you get the first question wrong on the test, you can get the next 99 right. Guess what? You don't get 100. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of us. It doesn't matter what good we do or any of that. What matters is, is what do we say about Jesus Christ? In Him is my righteousness. Not in what I do, not in what I don't do. It's in Christ. 
we look to Christ and his death, his burial and resurrection, I say my righteousness is found in him. That righteousness is credited to us. I'm leaning totally on Christ for my righteousness. I'm not seeking my own. Matthew lived in a world, Jesus was given to a world that, try, that was trying to justify themselves. Trying to earn it. They were trying to do their own righteousness, merit their own righteousness. And, and you don't marry Mary if that's the case. The question is this, are we going to live a life that tries to justify ourselves before man? Or, or, will, we, or will we rest in Christ having been justified by His blood? and by His death and resurrection. And because of that, listen, you see the freedom that gives me? I don't have to cater to man. I don't have to cater to the world. Why? Because they've got nothing on me. My righteousness is found in Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of me. It doesn't matter what the world says about me. It doesn't matter what my friends say about me. It doesn't matter what anybody says about me. All that matters is what God says about me. And that righteousness, listen, having been declared righteous, will I, will I obey? Absolutely. The Spirit in me causes me to obey. Romans 8 says that. But listen, my life is an overflow of having been declared righteous. I'm not trying to earn it. I'm simply, I'm simply living in the overflow, overflow of that which has been learned, earned for me by the blood of Christ. Look at me, you, you, this decision was not, a, was not a, you think, oh, well, he made the decision, he moved on, they lived happily ever after. L listen to what John 8 says. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. They're, they're talking about who their father is, they're claiming their father's Abraham. Jesus says, if your father's Abraham, you'd, you'd love me. And they're like, what? What are you telling my father? Listen to what they say. Jesus is saying, Abraham is not your father. Your, your father is the, the devil. He's of someone else. And listen to how they respond to that. They said to him, listen to what they said to Jesus in John 8, 41. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Even when Jesus was an old man, you know what the public, you know what the, the, the men of that day, you know what the, the approval rating was of that day? They go back to Mary and they say, you were born of a fornicator. 30 years later, they're still going back. Still attacking Joseph. Still attacking Mary. 30 years later. Culture. The stigma of, the stigma of Joseph's decision to obey stuck with him and his family for their whole lives. It never went away. And it might be the same for you and me. Rid ourselves of this idea that, you know what, if I do right, God's going to make everything right. He is going to make everything right, but it's going to be on the other side of eternity. Just because you do the right thing on your campus will not make you Mr. Popularity or Mrs. Popularity. Quite the opposite is true. But we ought to do it because of what Jesus has done for us first. Because it was modeled for us first. He was scorned by man, hated by man. The Bible says a pupil is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Jesus says to the disciples, you know what they did? They, they persecuted me. You know what they're going to do to you? They're going to persecute you. But go through it because of righteousness. Because you've been declared righteous. He says, this is going to stick with you the rest of your life. You may be hated for the rest of your life. You know what the Word of God would say? Do it anyway. Joseph, do it anyway. See, Joseph was willing to be shamed because of his faith. 
not ashamed of his faith. He was willing to be shamed because of his faith. He was willing to be obedient to God no matter the cost. And I thought about as I as I was leaving here, this is the passage that changed the whole message. Romans 1, 16 and 17 changed the whole... As I drove away from here, clear as day, that pa- this passage popped into my mind. And I literally could not... Uh, I had to pull over and was just typing as fast as I could as the thoughts just flowed. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel is this. How is God going to declare you and me, wretched sinners who can't get to Him on our own, how is He going to rightfully and righteously declare us righteous? How is He going to justly do that? He's holy. He's perfect. He can't just say, you know what, Chris, just come on in heaven. I'm a sinner. And He said that because you sin, you deserve death. How is He going to do this rightly? He did it by crucifying His Son and by giving us His righteousness. Listen, we, we all, if we're, we're, we're humans, we all know what it's like to be embarrassed. We, we all know what it's like to be shamed. And, and here's, how, here's how, if you want to read a, a great book, and a lot of these thoughts were, I re, were, were reminded of me through a, a John Piper book, Don't Waste Your Life. If you want to read that book, it's a great, great book. Here, here's how we typically, if we're honest, here's how you and I typically go about an effort of not being shamed or not being embarrassed. We go to great lengths to, on our own, try to keep ourselves in the best light. Why we do most of what we do, if we're honest, is this, to keep ourselves in the best light as possible. Because of what others are going to think of us. How we look. How we seem. We, we make every effort to do whatever it is that, we, that it takes to remain in a good light before man. And we put it on ourselves to make our own reputations. That's how the world deals with it. That's how we deal with it. But, but is that the case for Christians? Listen to me. Is it our job to keep ourselves in the best light with culture? Or is that God's job? Is it my job to deal with my reputation? Or is it my job, my responsibility as a believer, to be obedient to God's word no matter what it takes or what it costs and allow God to deal with Chris Basham's reputation? That's the difference. Listen, because when I, th- I thought about it, when, when Paul says here that he's not ashamed of the gospel, Paul did not escape the shame by keeping himself in the best light. He didn't, keep the, he didn't, he didn't avoid shame by commending himself in the world's eyes. He didn't avoid shame by being popular with culture. The reality is, if you look at the life of Paul, exactly the opposite was true. Paul's defense of the gospel regularly put him in a very bad light with regard to culture. Listen listen to what Paul's defense, what Paul's not willing to be shamed of the gospel, but willing to be shamed by the gospel did to him. 2 Corinthians 11.23 Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. To the world, Paul looked, he looked nuts. 
I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. Paul never once was afraid to be ashamed, to be shamed rather, by the gospel. Never once was he ashamed of the gospel. Why did Paul do that? Because his love for God was greater than his love for the world. You look at Philippians 1, he says, I'm in prison, why? For the cause of Christ. He was in jail because of his relationship with Jesus. And never once was he ashamed of that. Was he willing to be shamed by it? He was. Paul's life was not spent trying to please man. He didn't spend his life trying to stay in the best light of culture. Instead, his singular purpose was to glorify God and Christ Jesus whom he sent. And that brought him shame publicly. The question becomes, what about you and me? Will we do whatever it takes to glorify Christ? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to stand up for Christ, or will we bow down to culture? The question becomes, how did Paul do this? How, how did Joseph do this? How did even Jesus do this? L listen, listen, it's interesting the word shame. It's interesting. In, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, listen carefully to what it says about Jesus. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Listen, he's not saying there we have people clapping for us in the heavenlies. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying there is we have all these Old Testament saints who have gone before us. We have, he just listed in Hebrews 11, all these men and women who died for their faith. He's saying, if you need encouragement, look to them. If you need an attaboy, look to them. If you want to be encouraged to keep on keeping on, Go to Hebrews 11 and read Hebrews 11. He says, let us set aside every sin that entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this. And he uses Jesus, of all things, as an example. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the what? Shame. The shame. Here, here's the gospel. It's, G, it, it's Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords. Not only was it so condescending that he would take on flesh, but he dies a criminal's death. The shame of dying a death he did not deserve. The shame of dying a criminal's death. You know what he did to the shame? He despised it. He despised it. You say, what does that mean? It means this. And, I, and I, I thought about that, and I read, and I read, and, and, I, and I, 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 this is what it means. It's telling us this. The normal inclination for us is to be tempted to shy away, to be timid from situations where we know that shame is probably going to come. When we, we know where we're obedient to Christ, we know that it's probably going to cost us. And when it does... When it does, when shame begins to threaten us, when shame begins to tempt us to water it down, to back it off, to say what the culture wants us to say, to cave into culture, here's literally, what it, here's literally what we say to shame. I despise you. Shame, I despise you. 
you tell yourself, I despise you, shame. I will not give in for short-term gains at the compromise to the long-term game of my reputation before God. That's what it means. It means we don't settle for cheap versions or cheap imitations of worldly satisfactions, but we keep chasing God's glory no matter the cost. It means this, I find my satisfaction in God alone. I don't find my satisfaction in what this world offers me. What culture offers me. I don't find, and again, you're talking to a, you're, you're listening to a people pleaser. Karen regularly has to talk me off the wall. I could hear 100 attaboys. All I got to hear is one person being truthful and say, you're a moron. They're being truthful. I am a moron. Jeremiah 10, 14 tells me, all men are stupid, devoid of knowledge. That's what Jeremiah 10, 14 says. I just don't want to hear it from y'all. But listen to me. I don't, I don't live by what the world tells of me. I, 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 there are constantly pressures pulling, pushing in on me, a Christian, to, as a pastor, to do things, to preach easy things, to, to preach what people want to hear, to tickle their ears, to dot, 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 to fill this place up. We're not going to do that. Listen to me, we're not going to do that. There's a hundred things that we could do to blow the walls off this place and do it wrongly, do it cheaply. Do it, do it shamedly, to compromise the text, to compromise the gospel, to compromise the truth. We're not going to do that. Because, my listen, my satisfaction is ultimately in Christ and who Christ calls me to. And listen, for you and for me, here's the deal. Be faithful. You know what the measuring rod is this? Be faithful. It's not results. Be faithful. Isaiah, zero results. Jeremiah, zero results. But they were faithful. It's interesting. In, in Romans 2, this is just off the cuff. I'm thinking of Romans 2 here. This don't, hopefully it'll make sense. Listen to me. In Romans 2, 23, You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, you dishonor God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Trying to be like culture. Trying to fit in. Trying to see how we can navigate both teams, the world and God at the same time. The name of God, he says, is blasphemed. Blasphemed because of us. We, we, listen, our joy is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ because the promises of God are true. And because of his promises, we won't allow ourselves to be shamed, ashamed of the gospel. Listen, we don't back down. Why? Because ultimately only God has the power to save. Man doesn't save me. My efforts don't save me. Only God can save me. What, what God has offered us in Jesus Christ cannot be taken away by this world. Our righteousness doesn't come from popularity or anything else but, in, but through Christ's blood. And, and may we be like Matthew 1, like Joseph in Matthew 1, where he got up and it said he obeyed everything the Lord told him, no matter the cost. He knew that was going to be hard. He knew in his culture that was going to be bad. Our righteousness comes from Christ, and so guess what? We pursue Christ no matter what. Why? Because what the world says doesn't affect who God has already declared over me. Again, Romans 1.16, the gospel of Jesus Christ alone has the power to save. I mean, again, Joseph, Joseph lived in a day where you can look. We won't say for the sake of time. What time is it? Uh-oh. 
We won't look at these passages because it's 1038. But go on your own and look at Matthew 6. This is a culture that had turned fasting into sin, had turned praying into sin, had turned giving into sin, had turned serving into sin. Why? Because they did it to please man. And, G- and Jesus says, you know what? They, he says, they, they did it to please man. And it's an interesting statement Jesus says in there. Go look at it. He says, and they received their reward in full. You want to please man? God says, I don't need to reward you at all. Why? Because you're getting what you wanted. Go, go try to live to please man. You'll get your reward in full for a time. Short-term gain. Long-term costs. Listen, our hearts are just as prone to this today. Our hearts are prone to find our satisfaction in places and people that just don't last. L- listen quickly to Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. L- listen to this. This is why. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hewn cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen to me. Living for the world's approval, living so you can be the most popular person on your campus, living so that the world will love you, it's like pouring water in your hands. You ever been thirsty and you pour water in your hands? You better drink it real fast because you know what happens? It goes through your hands. That's the way man's approval is. If you want to think about an illustration of man's approval, you'll get man's approval, but you better drink it up real quick because you know what? Like that, it's gone. Just like that, it's gone through your hands. And then you just what? Then I got to go back to the water fountain. I got to fill it up again and drink real fast. That's the cycle we live on when we try to please man. We keep putting water on our hands and doing like this. Instead of going to Jesus and there's a cistern that'll never run dry and drinking of that. That, that's the craziness of living for man's approval, catering our behavior for man's approval. In John 12, Jesus indicts them for living for man's approval. In Galatians 1.10, it's interesting, Paul says, Who am I seeking to please, man or God? He says, because if I was trying to please man, I, sure wouldn't, I wouldn't share with you the gospel as I shared it with you. Listen, he says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Just like Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to have to choose. Matthew had to choose. Am I going to live for man's approval? Am I going to live for external righteousness? Or I'm going I'm to pursue God and I'm going to obey God. And our righteousness is not found in what the world thinks about us. And you say, well, Chris, how can we know, I'm trying to skip through here real quick, how can we know what we're living for? Let me ask you this, who do you talk about the most? Who does your life mostly revolve around? Who do your plans mostly revolve around? When you think about doing something, does somebody's, mind come, does somebody's name come to mind? Do you, do you say, I wonder what they'll think? Or... or uh, do you think, I wonder what God will think? Is it, hey, I wonder what this friend will think? Or, I don't know. Whose approval do you crave the most? I thought about this. Who do you think about the most when you get dressed or choose your clothes, when you choose where to go, when you choose what to say to hang out with? Who, do you, who are you thinking about? 
Let me ask you this. When's the last time you verbally told somebody about the gospel, gave a clear call to repentance? Students, who do you hang out with? Who do you want to be seen with? Where do you go the most? Because who's there are you looking? Who is there that you're looking for? How do you dress? Who are you thinking about when you dress? Who do you serve? Are there people you won't hang out with school at school and why? If you see the person that's been isolated and, and they got nobody, what, what keeps you from going to serve? Because you love this person over here's approval. It might be. Students, you have a phenomenal opportunity to declare the gospel through how you love people at your campus. And I promise you there are boys and girls on your campuses that are craving somebody to come alongside of them and love them the way that you've been loved in Christ. And it's the same adults at work. It's the same in your neighborhoods. Adults, do you speak out against sin? Do you speak out against the gospel? What, is church seen as optional? Are there things that compete with your loyalty or your attendance here? Next Saturday when you go ahead and pass out bread, why, why won't you be there? What's going to keep you from coming to pass out bread? You scared? You scared of what they'll think about you? I'm scared. It could be weird to go up to somebody's house. Look, we've done this for four or five years. Ain't nobody hurt us. Probably 1% of the people weren't grateful for the bread. I don't know what they did afterwards, but they at least took it. What we figured out is we send our kids to the door. They ain't going to be mean to them jokers. We're sitting out by the curb laughing and yucking it up, and our kids just running. I remember the Hamptons one year. I think there, we had 100 loaves. I think Caden Cole passed out 89 of them. They were just running up and down the streets. Listen, just to, to inspect our hearts here. I thought about this. Suppose I gave you a hundred. Suppose I said this. I'll give you hundred dollars for every door you go to and pass out bread. I promise you, we'd have enough people to pass out bread. You know why? Because it reveals our heart. Luke 12, 34 says this, For wherever your treasure is, students, there your heart will be also. What motivates us? $100 or the glory of God? What motivates us? Christ's righteousness being given to us freely through Jesus Christ or the approval of man? That's the question. I think that's the question that Matthew confronts us with. Are we, going to live for the, the, are we going to live for the approval of man? Or are we going to be obedient to God no matter what? There's no righteousness found on our own. Romans 3, there's a righteousness that's given to us. It's apart from the law. It's Christ. Live, live because you've been declared righteous. What time is it, Tom? All right. Let's take five, five, five minutes. You, you have those questions. I would encourage you to take a few moments at some point and look over those questions. Search your own heart. Maybe you see what you don't want to see. Here's the good news. Repent. Ask God's forgiveness. Do what David did in Psalm 51 and ask God to create in you a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in you. Fall on your knees and ask God to forgive you of loving the approval of man more than his approval, if that's what God reveals. 
For some of you, you may be seeking your own righteousness all your days and you realize that's a cistern that doesn't hold water. Let's talk after the service. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and, and, and you're confronted with the reality of that, that you're not getting to heaven on your own, let's talk after church. 